Well, hey, good morning. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges. We're going to be in Judges chapter 16 this morning. If you're visiting with us or haven't been regularly attending through the spring, we've been teaching all the way back since Easter a series called Tearing Down Strongholds. And we're getting to the last couple messages in this series. But this morning, we're going to be in Judges 16, looking at the stronghold of foolishness. And teaching this last night, one of the issues that came up is why would you choose to talk on foolishness when all the men are up at the vertical men's retreat? <laughs> like, like, like maybe you should have timed this a little better. And, and what I want to uh, assure the, the wives, if your husband is up there, I did teach there on Friday night. I touched on some of the things that I'm going to talk to you about um, with them also on Friday night, but I was limited in what I could say because they were pretty busy playing on the slip and slide and um, <laughs> jumping in and doing belly flops into an inflatable kiddie pool. But I, I did what I could, okay? So, so we're going to hit this topic today. And, and, and here's the way that we're going to approach it. We're going to look at a story that for many of you will be familiar. It, it's the story of Samson and Delilah. But I would, I would maybe make the argument that if I were to search the entire Old Testament, maybe even the entire Bible, what we're going to see in Judges 16 might be the height of foolishness. The, the, the choices that Samson makes and the progression of what happens in Judges 16, it's just dumb. There's no other way to say it. And so I'd like you to do this with me. We're just going to kind of work our way through the chapter. We're going to read through it together. And I want you to look specifically, even though some of you might know the story really well, look really specifically for the decisions that he makes along the way that lead him, quite honestly, to drive his life over a cliff. He, he, he ends, or where we're going to end the story this morning, is his choices become very, very destructive. But we're looking for a pattern of foolishness. And then what we're going to do is we're going to jump back a couple chapters and look at the root of foolishness. What we see in chapter 16 is actually the fruit of some things that happened in prior chapters. But let's go through that chapter together. Can we do that right now? Okay, so hopefully you found your way to Judges 16. Uh, let's just read it together. Again, the goal here, look Four foolish choices that Samson makes. Here's verse 1, Judges 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Anything so far? <laughs> so, so our boy Samson, he's not off to the best start. Can we agree on that? Okay, so, so verse 1, we didn't have to go too far to start seeing a pattern. It says in verse 2, the Gazites were told Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. Then they kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till light of morning, then we'll kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Okay, so here's a couple things just learned in those, voice, in those verses. Um, Samson's pretty strong, okay? Think like Thor. Um, he's a strong guy. He's been gifted by the Lord. And there's some enemies. There's a battle going on. He is the warrior that basically represents the nation of Israel <clears throat> at this point. And there are Philistines that are looking to destroy him. The Philistines and Israel are at war. He is Israel's warrior, and the Philistines see an opportunity to seize him. They surround him 
And Samson just kind of walks away and takes the gate of the city with him, which is a pretty strong indication, not only that he's strong, but in taking the gates of the city, he has just communicated to the Philistines, you're not safe. In essence, you think you were going to kill me in the morning? You all sleep well tomorrow night because your city is unguarded. It's unfortified. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then in verse 4, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound so that, uh, that one could subdue you. Okay, so, so question so far. Samson has now fallen in love with Delilah, okay? From, from your perspective, just reading those verses, does Delilah love Samson? Okay, so, so love is blinding here, okay? So he's fallen in love with Delilah. She is approached by these other guys. They come up with a plan to figure out the source of Samson's strength, and he's blind to it. He says in verse 7, Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound them with him. Okay, maybe this is just me because I'm familiar with this story. I, I grew up in the church, and I probably heard this story the first time, and it involved a flannel graph, okay? I thought, my memory of this story was that what would happen is he would give her this hint on what would take his strength, and then he would fall asleep, and then she would bind him up. Is that kind of your guys' recollection too? He's not asleep. He's wide awake, Hey, this girl that you've fallen in love with comes up and says, hey, what's the secret of your strength? And you make up this story, seven bowstrings. And then she takes the seven bowstrings and binds you with them while you're awake. You're starting to think you might have a problem? So some relational undertones that may need to be addressed? Says this in verse 9. Now she had men lying in ambush in the inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he snapped the bowstrings, has a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. So the ambush part kind of gives away the issue, right? Like, like the men showing up when he's bound with these bowstrings, like that's the moment that Samson comes to his senses. Verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, You just tried to kill me. Why would I do that? That would be dumb. No, nope, that's not what he says. Look at the verse. <laughs> if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him. Again, not asleep. Okay. Samson's believing he's in control of this situation and it's going to quickly spiral out of control. He's playing a game in his foolishness. It says, so Delilah took the new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. 
Verse 13, then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave seven locks of my head uh, with the web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Okay, so let me translate this. Now we're getting closer to this hair thing that's going to become an issue if you know the story. But in essence, at this point, for the third time, she says, what is the source of your strength? He says, all you have to do is put my hair in a man bun. That'll do it. <laughs> and there's, there's so much more I could say about that, but I'm not going to, okay? We're just going to leave it right there. Okay, so now it's put my hair in the bun. That, that'll be it. This is this. Let me find my place. Verse 14, and while he slept. Okay, now we see something different. He wasn't asleep the first two times, but now he's getting careless. He's getting reckless. Now he's asleep. Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with a pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away from, and he pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. She's getting closer. Look at verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Verse 17. And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and will be like any other man. Look at verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. That caught me off guard. They've already brought the money. He hasn't been captured yet. Three times this thing has happened and it's failed. They've rushed in. They've ambushed him. But, but this time before the fourth ambush, they've already paid her because she knows. And Samson knows that he's given away the secret. And the Philistines already know. You would think somewhere along this path of foolishness, Samson would realize the mistakes that he's making. But I'm just going to argue by this time in the story, if you took a village and the only people that lived in the village were idiots, he would be the village idiot. That's where he is. He's given away the source of his strength. And it says this, verse 19 she made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. That phrase caught me out. I thought she was tormenting him the whole way, but she begins to torment him. And then the end of verse 19, and his strength left him. Look at verse 20. This is important. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. Okay, okay, this is the key phrase. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Okay, don't get confused in the story. The source of his strength is not his hair. He didn't lose his power. He didn't lose God's blessing because somebody cut his hair. 
He had made a vow to the Lord as a Nazarite that he wouldn't drink alcohol, that he wouldn't eat certain foods, that he wouldn't cut his hair. And in disobeying the Lord, the source of his power being the Lord, now he finds himself weak. The text is very clear on this, but he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Look at verse 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with brown shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. Life over a cliff. So many warnings. So many moments where if you were there, if you were witnessing this thing, if Samson would have listened, you would have said, what are you doing? You're being a fool. You're, you're consumed with foolishness. Like, like, how can you not see where this is going to end, how this is playing out? Again, chapter 16 is just the, the fruit, the, the root we're going to actually find if you're willing to take, uh, slide back a couple chapters, go back to Judges 13. To, to get to the root or the root of the problem, we've got to see some things. I'm going to give you five things that are kind of, in his story, the root of foolishness. If you're keeping notes and want the big idea, it's simply this, foolishness forgets. Foolishness forgets. The root of foolishness, I'm going to give you five. Here's the first one. Foolishness is forgetting who sees. Forgetting who sees. Look at Judges 13, verse 1. We're going to go all the way back to before Samson was born here. We're going to look at an interaction that his parents had with a messenger from the Lord. And in verse 13, or in chapter 13, verse 1, it says this. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So here's the context. Israel has been enslaved by the Philistines for 40 years. How did they get into slavery? The Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines. Why did the Lord give them into the hands of the Philistines? Because they did evil in the sight of the Lord. A couple weeks ago, I was teaching from Numbers 12, and the story there was on rebellion. Miriam and Aaron rebelling against uh, Moses. And in Numbers 12, 2, it says they were rebelling against Moses. It says, and the Lord heard them. So in Numbers 12, 2, the Lord heard them. Here, the Lord saw their evil. Here's the best counsel I can give you guys, okay? This is the best I can do. If you're going to choose foolishness, if you're going to do evil, do it somewhere where God can't hear and God can't see. Because when he hears and when he sees, it doesn't end well. What's the problem with that counsel? Well, well, you got these verses like, where can I go from his presence or where can I flee from his spirit? Where can God not see? But in the moments that we choose foolishness, in the moments that we tell rebellion, that's the very thing that we're telling ourselves. And you see it over and over through scripture. Go back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sin, what do they do? They hide. Good plan, bad plan. Not awesome. Okay, you could go to the book of Joshua and you're going to find this guy by the name of Achan, not Clay Achan, a different Achan, okay? And, and he takes spoils from a city when God has told them not to take them. And what does he do with them? He buries them in his tent, in the sand. Why? So that God won't see. That doesn't end well. Um, Jonah. Jonah is 
called by God. He's God's prophet. Go to Nineveh and call those people to repent. Jonah's like, I don't want to go to Nineveh and tell those people to repent because I flat out don't like them. So I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to go in the opposite direction to Joppa and hopefully God doesn't see. Okay, over and over again, when we begin to make foolish choices, the main thing that we forget is we have a God who sees. We disconnect the fact that God's seen. And quite honestly, men, your wife might not find out. And kids, your parents might not figure it out. And your boss might not know. And in those moments when we're tempted, a simple reminder to avoid foolishness, God sees. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. He is not asleep at the wheel. He did not start creation and just say, Hey, I wonder what's going to happen next. God's watching. He's engaged. He sees. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. Don't be a fool. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And then a couple verses later in verse 9, it goes on and says, and let us not grow, grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And I think sometimes what happens to us as followers of Jesus Christ, we're doing our best to be obedient. We're doing our best to be faithful. And yet we still find ourselves engaged in trials. We still find ourselves engaged in conflict. We still, we're, we're seeing a disconnect. It's like, why am I doing everything that I'm supposed to do? And I keep reaping bad results. And in those moments of doubt, we disconnect. We begin to believe that God is not in control, that he doesn't see. And then we're tempted to sin, believing that we won't suffer the consequences of those decisions as well. A root of foolishness is this. We forget who sees. Here's a second one. We forget who blesses. So in Judges 13, verse 2, it says, There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. This is Samson's dad. And the story goes on. His wife was barren. She couldn't have children. And an angel of the Lord appears to her and says, Behold, you are going to conceive. You will conceive. She hasn't conceived yet, but she will conceive and bear a son. And then in verse 4, it says, Be careful. And drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And then he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Samson's mom goes and tells Manoah, her, her, Samson's dad, everything that the angel has told her. He says this in verse 6. I like this. The man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel. Very awesome understatement. I did not ask him where he was from. I didn't, he didn't tell me his name, but these are the things that he told me. And it's interesting, throughout this story, as we read the progression, one of the things that you're going to notice is Samson's parents always realize that Samson is a blessing from the Lord. They never lose sight of that. They understand that his birth, how God's going to use him, how God's equipped him, the source of all of that is the blessing of the Lord. Samson, if you read through chapters 14 and 15, we're not going to spend a lot of time there. I'd encourage you to read it this week. What you're going to see is over and over again, he begins to rely on himself. He begins to trust in his own strength. He forgets who blesses. The parents remember who blesses. Here's a third thing from verse 8. Foolishness is rooted in forgetting who gives wisdom. 
Look at verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. Hey, listen. School will teach you knowledge. Life will teach you lessons. God gives wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge are, are very different things. I've seen some highly educated fools. And I've seen some pretty simple, very wise people. What we need to navigate life is wisdom that comes from the Lord. And I love what Samson's dad does. He immediately says, listen, you've told us what's going to happen. My wife's going to give birth to a son. You're going to use him to help free us from the Philistines. That's the what? I need wisdom. How? How am I to raise him? How am I going to do these things? And he immediately cries out to the Lord and what he's requesting is wisdom. And I love it. Verse 9, and the Lord listened to the voice of Manoah. What a great thing. I wish God would send an angel to me. I wish I could get wisdom that way. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Talk more about this in a minute. Look at a fourth thing. Foolishness is rooted in forgetting who sees, forgetting who blesses, forgetting who gives wisdom. Here's the fourth, forgetting our mission. So he's requested that the God send the angel back. God hears, and the angel comes back. Look at verse 12. Then Manoah said, now when your words come true, what, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? I love that statement. God has told the parents that, they're going to use Samson, and immediately the dad's saying, what is his mission? Tell me what his mission is. Thinking of those Tom Cruise, those Mission Impossible. Remember how those things always start? If, you know, this thing's going to self-destruct. If you choose the mission, you can accept it or whatever. Here's what I would say. Samson's not the only one on mission, so are you. Samson was chosen before he was conceived. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ... Today, you're on mission. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. It says in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Do you know that you were chosen by God before the story of Samson? That's what the text just said. Chosen by God before the foundation of the world. You're not here by random circumstance. You're not here out of some evolutionary goo. God chose you before the foundation of the world. And if he chose us and if he loved us and if the text goes on to say that he adopted us, he predestined us, then I'm going to say that we're on mission even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself, his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What is our mission? Should we choose to accept? It's very clear in the text that we should be holy and blameless before him. That doesn't sound real hard. That's all we got to do. Not a big deal, right? problem is we can't fulfill the mission but don't miss the last phrase through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will see we're on mission we're called to be blameless and holy 
and we'll never get there, we'll never complete the mission until we surrender to Jesus Christ who gives us the power to fulfill the mission. Please don't forget you're on mission. We're not just drifting through the trials and the ups and downs and the highs and lows and the winters and summers of Michigan. We're not just on cruise control here, man. We're on mission if we're a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't lose sight of that. And then here's the fifth thing. Foolishness is rooted in forgetting our weakness. Throughout this story, and again, we won't take the time to read chapters 14 and 15. Take the time to read them this week. What you're going to find is Samson has a sin bend. He has a proclivity to certain sins. He is impulsive. He has an anger issue. His strength makes himself reliant. He has a thing for the ladies. Okay, These things repeat themselves over and over in his life. And everyone in this room is born with a sin bend. Do you know that? Different for different ones of us. Some of you might be tempted by things that others are not. I might be tempted by things that you are not. But we're all born with a sin bend. Romans is clear on that. We come into the world jaded because we have received a sin nature through inheritance from our parents all the way back to Adam. Now, there's this verse in Proverbs that's really interesting. It says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he won't depart from it. Parents, you guys know that verse? What a great promise. If I just train him up in the way of the Lord, even if that kid goes completely rebel, completely prodigal, I can have confidence that he'll come back. Yes and no. It's not exactly what the verse is teaching. A better translation would actually be, train up a child according to his bend, and when he was old, he will not depart from it. If you allow his sin bend to go unchecked, parents, if you refuse to be parents, if you will not correct, if you will not discipline, if you let that sin bend go, when he's old, he's not going to depart from it. It's a warning. We need to deal with these things with our kids when they are young. The biggest issue Samson has is he forgets the source of his strength. It's not his hair. It's not his appearance. It's not the vow that he made. It comes from the Lord. And I would just challenge you today, we are absolutely no different. Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's the night he's going to be betrayed. And in John 15, 5, Jesus says this to his disciples. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Catch the next phrase. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Don't forget your weakness. Don't forget your sin, Ben, but don't forget even something bigger that apart from Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. Foolishness is rooted in self-reliance, in forgetting our weakness. So I hope that was really profitable for you. I hope you know where foolishness is rooted. Can I just close in prayer without giving you any anecdotes to foolishness? That probably wouldn't be a great plan, would it? So let me just quickly give you guys some points. Um, I'm going to pick it from Proverbs 3. There's many places that I could go, but let's talk about wisdom for a minute. And if you guys would flip over to the middle of your Bible, if you open your Bible in the middle, you'll probably hit Psalms. Proverbs is just like one book to the right. And we're going to be in Proverbs 3. Here's what I like about going to Proverbs 3. The guy that wrote Proverbs, Solomon, has a lot of the same sin bends, a lot of the same problems that we just saw in the life of Samson. He's rich, he's powerful, he becomes self-reliant, he has a thing for the ladies, he's impulsive. A lot of these things are true of him also. 
but God blessed him as well. In Samson's case, Samson was given incredible strength. In Solomon's case, he was given incredible wisdom. And in this passage in chapter 3, what he's doing is he's giving instruction to his son to say, listen, pursue wisdom. Don't make some of the same mistakes that I did. Like, don't play the fool. Like, here's some of the things that you need to focus on if you're going to be wise. And look what it says. I'm going to pick it up just a couple verses. I'm going to look at verses 5 through maybe 8. But let's pick it up in verse 5. Strike that. Let's go to the end first so we know where we're going. Then we'll pick it up in verse 5. Look at verse 8. Here is what Solomon is after. He says this in verse 8. It'll bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So, So the goal of the instruction is healing. It's refreshment. Anybody here for healing and refreshment? Anybody here tired of playing the fool? Anybody here on a path of foolish choices that if you could step back and see yourself, you'd say, don't go there. Okay, where Solomon is driving is he's saying, the instruction that I'm giving you, if you will listen, it's going to bring healing and it's going to be refreshment. That's our goal. Now let's look at verse 5. Relief from foolishness. Here's the first one, humility. Humility. Verse 5, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So in this verse, he's creating a, a, a contrast. He's Presenting you with a choice. You have to choose something. What are you going to trust? Are you going to trust the Lord? Or are you going to lean on your own understanding? That's the decision. And in making that choice, there's going to be a call to humility. Because what you have to realize is this. That your own understanding has its limitations. I was telling the guys up at camp... Uh, My father was born in 1925, and uh, that means that he spent most of his childhood in the 1930s, which meant he was a depression kid. And um, his dad would die in 1939 when he was 14 years old. He was the only son, so now it was his responsibility at a very young age to care and provide for his mom. By the time he got to uh, late teens and early 20s and approached adulthood, not only was he caring for his mom, but we were engaging in a world war. So he enlisted in the Navy. Back then, they wouldn't deploy only sons who were caring for their moms. So he ended up being in the Navy, but staying local so that he could provide for his mom. That was his story. That was his upbringing. My father-in-law was born just 13 years later. In 1938. So he grew up, his formative years were really after we were leaving the conflict of the war, and his high school years were spent in the 50s. He grew up in a Christian home. My father did not. His dad was a Christian leader. He ran a Christian publishing business. He was an entrepreneur. He was very successful. And as my father-in-law grew up through the 50s, he believed that there were no limitations on what he could do. He had the world by the table, or by by the tail. He fully confident. Okay, two different factors. My dad, born and raised during the Depression without a father. My father-in-law, 13 years later, with a father. I'm going to tell you, just those two factors gave those guys very, very different perspectives, very, very different understandings on how the world works. Would you agree? And I haven't even talked about sin yet. 
And I haven't talked about brokenness. Our past, our genetics, our experiences skew our understanding and what the text says. It's very interesting how Solomon does this. He says, don't lean on your own understanding. Now, if I were to lean on this cheap piece of plastic, I'm not sure that it could hold my weight, okay? But even as I'm leaning on this thing, I'm not sitting on it, I'm leaning on it, which means my strength is still also in my legs, right? It's also in myself. And what Solomon's doing here, I never saw it in the text until I looked at it this week, he's making a comparison. You can make a choice. You can lean on your own understanding, which means you're still partially on your own strength, or you can trust the Lord. And that word trust, if you go back to the original language, to the Arabic, do you know what it means? Literally translated, it means this, throw yourself down on your face. So there's this contrast. If you want refreshment, if you want healing, you're going to have to make a choice. You're either going to lean on your own understanding, which is limited, or you're going to get down on your face. You're going to trust the Lord. You're going to have to admit that the Lord's got this, that he's in control. This is a position of surrender. God, you've got this. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. I trust that your perspective is a little better than mine. And what happens is through scripture, because we have a limited perspective, we're told to do two things. Because our perspective is limited, get godly counsel. Get to somebody who has a different perspective and not some lame friend who's only going to tell you what you want to hear. But get to somebody who can give you a different perspective and tell you what you need to hear. That's important. But even more important than that, who are you going to trust? And the text is clear. Trust the Lord. That's going to take humility because it means you're going to have to get down on your face. Here's a second thing. Acknowledge. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Don't you think so? Hey, Jeff, how you doing? You're looking good. You're getting tan. Did you know that? How am I doing up here? Is it going okay? Good, because that's really important to me, your opinion. The thumbs up. That was big. Okay. I just acknowledged Jeff. That was an acknowledgement. He now knows that I know that he's here. Okay. So in all your ways, in everything you do, make sure that the Lord knows that you know that he's there. Do you think that's what the text is teaching? I don't think so. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I think we should have a knowledge that the Lord sees, the Lord hears, and that anywhere we go, he's going to be there. We acknowledge his presence in all circumstances, but acknowledge is better translated. The NIV actually does a better job in this case. In all your ways, submit to him. Back down on your face. See, I can acknowledge Jeff. I can let him know that I know that he's here, but that's way different than submitting to Jeff. Submitting to Jeff, that would be like, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. (laughs) I'm going to go where he wants me to go. And make no mistake, I've only acknowledged you, okay? The Lord's actually asking for more. The root there is submit. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. I'm so tired of road construction. It's only June 15th. It's going to be a long summer, isn't it? Got through the whole fool bridge thing. I've had to be turning left at Culver's, waiting five lights to do it. My little shortcut is also road closed. And finally, we get to something like Memorial Day or a week after, and they open the bridge. Anybody for opening the bridge for the rest of the summer? Okay, the minute they open the bridge, why did they choose to work on the main road in Spring Lake? They're messing with me, I'm telling you. And I'm tired of cones, I'm tired of barriers, I'm tired of driving on the interstate and weaving back and forth across the rumble strip. Here's what I want, straight paths, clear roads. I want that feeling that I get when I finally clear the construction zone and I kindly get through all of the cones and all of the barriers and all of the workmen and go in 35 and backups and stop and go and then you get the three lanes and it's wide open again, you know that feeling? That's what he's saying. Hey, you want clear roads, you want straight roads, you want clear paths, trust the Lord. Submit to the Lord, acknowledge the Lord. And then he says this, this is important, don't miss it. Verse seven, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Here's what I would say. In trying to figure out how to combat foolishness, There are so many passages, so many warnings that I could have chose this morning. I looked at James 3 this week. There's a contrast in James 3 between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. I'm not even going to turn there. Go find it for yourself this week. But one of the things that you'll find is the instruction that I just gave you from Proverbs 3. Face down. Surrender. Acknowledge. Submit. Turn from evil. Repent. I'm just going to tell you those steps are not in line with what the world is going to tell you to do or how to live. The world is going to tell you, trust your instincts. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Make your own decisions. Be your own boss. That's what the world's going to tell you to do. And you can choose that. I just don't think it leads to refreshment. I just don't think it leads to healing. I just don't think it leads to clear roads. You got to make a choice. And my fear would be in this moment that there's some that maybe have attended our church or other churches in the area or you've explored the claims of Jesus Christ and you might even acknowledge him, but you've never trusted him. Face down, you've never submitted to him. There's a choice that has to be made. Who are you going to trust? And I'm just telling you, I think trusting our own perspective and our own understanding, I think that's exactly what Solomon was, or I mean, what Samson was doing in the moment. And you tend to drive your life over the cliff. But there's another way, there's a better way. How do we get relief from foolishness? Well, listen, we trust, we acknowledge, and we repent. Repent. I was going this way. I was playing the role of a fool, and now I'm going this way. And I don't know your particulars. I don't know the foolish path that you're on. Maybe there's a um, flirtation that you're entertaining, and anyone would say, don't go that way. Foolishness. Turn. Turn. 
Repent. Wisdom. It's that simple. There's a choice. The question is, are we going to tear down the stronghold of foolishness or are we going to let it bring destruction into our lives? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, stories that we know well. And my prayer would be that even uh, this morning, as I teach this for a second time, as people turn to passages that they are probably familiar with, that we would see some things in a different light, that we would see some things maybe a little bit more clearly. And Father, I would acknowledge that I don't think there's a bunch of us in this room going, man, I want to be a fool. I just think we get there unintended because we choose not to trust you and we choose not to submit. Father, thank you for the clear choices that you present in your word. Teach us to have the courage. Teach us to be faithful, to do the things that you call us to. It's in the name of your son, our savior, our hope, and our strength that we pray. Amen.